It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We explore the rise of hospital-level care in the home setting. UW Health is a hospital system that launched a home-based hospital program earlier this year. A research letter published Friday in JAMA Health Forum finds a low mortality rate and minimal complications that would send patients back to a brick-and-mortar hospital in initial pilot studies. Call in with a question or comments about hospital at home, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Nels Paulson is a sociology professor at UW-Stout researching this healthcare delivery. Nels, welcome to the Ideas Network. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. And spouse, Dr. Margaret Paulson, is an internal medicine physician at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire and medical director for its advanced care at home program. Dr. Paulson, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yes. So, Dr. Paulson, starting with you, um, select locations across Mayo Clinic offering a hospital at home program. You are the medical director of the program running from the Mayo Clinic in Eau Claire. Why launch this program? Yeah, that was uh, that was a question our leaders were thinking about back in 2019 when they were thinking about the the 10-year strategic plan for 2030. And uh, our CEO, Dr. Frugia, this idea just really kept bubbling up. And he saw it as a way to um, meet patients where they're at, right? So just like banking and other industries have changed, people are very interested in getting care on demand, where meeting patients where they're at. So, so it was really a, a top-down approach um, for our organization. You mentioned 2019, then 2020 hits. Was, was the COVID pandemic a turning point for Hospital at Home and, and that model? Yeah, it was a it was a huge turning point. Um, before COVID, there wasn't uh, reimbursement for this model, and because of the pressures that COVID brought, you know, we just ran out of beds, and we needed more innovative models to care for people. Um, CMS, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, created a waiver so that. Uh, essentially made payment possible. And so fast forward now, almost 300 programs across the U.S. have uh, launched programs, including our our friends at UW and Madison. So it's really exciting to see a path forward for this. Nels, you study the social aspects of um, implementing a hospital at home program. uh, And you and Dr. Paulson examined why patients were hesitant to use this type of service during the pandemic. What did you learn? Yeah, well, a couple of categories of of, uh, why patients declined. Uh, First of all, Internally, hospitals just aren't used to, and hospital systems aren't used to a hospital at home when they're talking to patients. And so a lot of um, people working within these institutions, um, they, they just don't have enough of a background to um, properly educate the patients. And so we saw that um, some of the maybe ER docs or nurses that talk with the patients, they, they weren't giving them accurate information. So I'd go and interview the patients after they are in the brick and mortar hospital and um, ask them why they declined. And they would say, well, I just didn't sound like it was for me. And I'd give them a little bit more information. They said, oh, that sounds like it's for me. And Mm -hmm. so that's one sort of category is just internally 
um, educating within a system. And um, I will say uh, one of the usefulness of, of doing this research with Mayo Clinic is that they are very eager to learn and change as they learn um, as we do the research. And, and so I think that they've taken that very seriously and um, it's been helpful to them. The second category is a bigger category, and that's just the diversity of things happening in the home. And so um, do homes have a caregiver? Does a caregiver feel like they need to be involved in the care for the um, patients in the home? Or, you know, what, what kind of accommodations does the um, hospital home program need to do in order to, like, fit a different type of home than they're used to? Maybe uh, most of these programs are in urban areas and um, in apartments, and it's a lot easier than in, in more of a rural setting. And, and what kind of accommodations do these programs need to go through? Um, do the patients, are, are the patients women? Sometimes women patients are like, well, I could be at home and have all of these extra responsibilities while I'm trying to recover. I can go and relax in a brick and mortar hospital, which, you know, is uh, one of those things that uh, I think hospital home programs just have to be aware of is what kind of dynamics are at play in the home that might need to be accommodated to make the patients more comfortable. Nels Paulson, sociologist, UW-Stout. We have Dr. Margaret Paulson from Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire as we look at the growth of the hospital-at-home model. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Dr. Paulson, how does a patient qualify to receive medical care at home? Yeah, so... First of all, they, they need to have a, a condition that would require hospital-level care. Um, and so usually that means patients are coming into our ERs or sent uh, directly into the hospital by, by one of the providers that they're seeing. And so once it's deemed that they meet, need hospital-level care, our teams are uh, going through a screening process. So... Um, during the daytime and our teams are looking at our ER patients and working with the teams in ER to identify uh, patients preliminarily. And if we think that they meet uh, some basic clinical criteria, then we'll meet with the patients to do some social screening. Uh, we wanna make sure that uh, they feel comfortable at home and that, it, that home is a safe place because we know not everyone has a safe home to go back to. So uh, it's really a, a program of uh, clinical and social screening uh, to make sure that um, they're, they're the right candidate and home is the right place. Could you give some examples of conditions that would jump out at you as you look at the patients in the ER um, and, and who might, uh, and what types of conditions would most often qualify? Yeah, I, it's... Um, so COVID was a perfect example, um, and most diseases have a spectrum of illness where people could be either doing really well or very, very sick. So we're, we're kind of right in the middle. Um, so somebody needs to be in the hospital, but they're not uh, needing ICU level care. So COVID, other pneumonias, skin infections that require IV antibiotics, um, uh, COPD uh, flares, um, even blood infections. So we partner with others from around the Mayo Enterprise too. So uh, they're caring for patients. I know it seems 
uh, out of this world, but patients who've had bone marrow transplants or even kidney transplants. So, so while we tend to take care of a lot of patients here in um, Wisconsin with bread and butter conditions, uh, there's, you know, this guy's kind of the limit with hospital at home, as long as, as patients um, can get what they need and they're not too sick in the home. So far, what feedback are you hearing from patients who use this program? Oh my goodness, it's been it's been really outstanding. We've uh, at our site we've cared for uh, just about a thousand mm-hmm. patients over the past couple of years, and um, patients love it. They love sleeping in their own beds. They love being with their families and you know having their pets by them and and grandkids or eating. Uh, their own food. So, so the, the response has been really overwhelming and, you know, some people unfortunately require hospital care um, from time to time. And so part of our uh, uh, biggest customers are people who, who come to the ER and they actually request our, our service because they know that advanced care at home has been a wonderful um, experience in the past for them. So, so they would rather go home uh, with us than come to the brick and mortar. Internist Margaret Paulson is at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire and medical director for its hospital at home program. UW Stout sociologist Nels Paulson studies the implementation of hospital at home programs. Call in with a question. You can share comments 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. Hospital at home programs take root in Wisconsin. We discuss the inpatient style of care that is delivered for serious medical issues in the confines of a person's home. And you can be part of the discussion, calling in with a question, sharing your views, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. We have Dr. Margaret Paulson, Medical Director for the Hospital at Home Program at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire. Nels Paulson is a UW-Stout sociology professor studying how to implement hospital at home programs. Nels, turning back to insurance here and um, the mention of the federal government creating the the waiver system that made payments possible through uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, um, what is the situation with private insurance companies? Well, it seems, and and Margaret will actually be able to speak way better about this than me, Um, it seems like uh, insurers are interested and um they certainly the, the evidence of the patient outcomes is is very convincing um in the academic literature for hospital home programs um one thing that i i will say that hospital at home has an opportunity to do and i'm going <laughs> to kind of punt the the question about private insurers back to margaret there um but in hospital systems in general in the united states because of a very fragmented and fractured insurance system, um, we have a lot of inequalities. And we um, kind of, I, I see that an opportunity for a hospital at home 
to think about getting ahead on some of these inequalities and trying to make sure that it accommodates the widest range of patients possible. And um, the part of that is, you know, trying to make sure that Medicaid is sufficient for funding um, hospital home programs. And uh, I, I certainly hope that uh, a lot of these hospital home programs are, are pushing for the same kinds of things. Um, I know that Mayo Clinic is. But I, I, I may um, ask Margaret to jump in on that private insurer's question. Yes. I mean, do hospitals have a way to get reimbursed for providing this type of care? Yeah. When Medicare announced a waiver, it was really a catalyst for commercial insurers to come along. And so our experience here in uh, in, in Eau Claire and uh, in our surrounding communities has been good, just like a lot of other uh, hospital home programs around the country. However, the nut we have left to crack is Badger Care or Medicaid in the state of Wisconsin. So, so we've seen other states adopt the hospital care, hospital home care model, um, but Badger Care has has yet to uh, authorize this care to their patients. So, so it's frustrating because we we've seen really wonderful candidates in the emergency department, and the hospitals are full. And we'd love to offer this care, but we can't until um, the state of Wisconsin uh, allows it. So in the meantime, they'll continue sitting in the emergency departments while we wait for beds, or even sometimes patients get sent to other hospitals, um, you know, a couple of hours away to find the care that they need. Dr. Paulson, I was reading this new research letter in in JAMA Health Forum citing a low mortality rate that is consistent with hospital at home literature and and minimal complications related to escalations back to the brick and mortar hospital. Uh, end quote. There does that does that reflect the findings that you're seeing at Mayo so far? Yeah, for sure. We we've seen that it's as safer safer across the board, and that our patients love it and. Um, while hospital at home is a newer concept here in the U.S., it is really well studied. And there have been decades of experience from our colleagues in Europe and Australia, particularly. And the data is robust. And, and so I, I know that as we've had these other programs in the U.S. launch, we'll continue to see more data. And Mayo Clinic itself, we're, we're just wrapping up our what will be the largest uh, randomized controlled trial in the hospital at home literature. So we're really excited for that data. Um, haven't seen it yet, but uh, hopefully next year it'll be available. Let's bring in a call. Anne in Waukesha is here. Anne, hi, what is your question? Hi, my question was really about the cost savings, but no, not really insurance coverage, but is the cost insurance less? Are they charging less for this at home care? So looking at what is billable here, Dr. Paulson, um, do the costs go down? Right now, um, the the payment from Medicare and commercial insurers matches the brick-and-mortar uh, traditional hospital experience. So the patients don't see added cost. Um, what I hope, though, is as this model matures, I mean, we're just at the very beginning here in the U.S., but um, we know we need to to create cost savings for for everyone here in the U.S. because, you know, healthcare costs are, are really out of control. So so as this model matures, um, 
hopefully it can be a lever to value-based care. We're talking about the growth of hospital at home programs here in Wisconsin and elsewhere with internist Margaret Paulson and sociologist Nels Paulson um, at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire. Dr. Paulson uh, and Nels Paulson, sociology professor at UW Stout. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800 642 Nels, last year, the, the largest union of registered nurses in America released a report denouncing this push for hospital at home programs. And a top official at uh, National Nurses United called programs like this dangerous. What is your reaction to that? Yeah, no, I, I would be curious to learn a little bit more about the programs that they are concerned about specifically. Um, my experience in um, researching the Mayo Clinic system is that uh, the, the nurses seem very supportive of it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious about that just because insofar as I've seen in the research, the patient outcomes are the same or better, especially regarding safety. And so um, I, I think that that's an important thing to explore a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there's some uh, important issues of like labor that aren't really about programs like hospital at home that need to be addressed um, just in general. Um, and that may be playing into it. The concern um, I think the nurses expressed here was that they provide round the clock bedside care. And if if there is any indicator on those machines or if something goes wrong, they can be there right there in the moment. Dr. Paulson, what is your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I had been following that uh, in California, particularly uh, from afar, but I, I could understand what they're saying. But I think the counter argument is, is that it, this type of care I've seen with our team members, our nursing uh, team members, it's actually been a resurgence for their professional lives. They're practicing in a new way. They're you know, going to the home, meeting patients literally where they are at and, and practicing to the top of their license in the home and through uh, telehealth visits with our patients. So it's actually led to high satisfaction of our nursing team members and um keeping them in the workforce. We know that it's been a really stressful few years and anything we can do to support our nurses, including practicing in new ways um, to keep them in, in at the bedside and with our patients, you know, we, we want to honor that. So when physicians round on patients in the hospital, like say a hospitalist um, um, seeing patients in, in the hospital, do they round in the home as well? Yeah, so um, our physicians will do virtual rounds. So um, we will connect virtually with our patients. Um, Often when I'm taking care of patients, I'll connect in the home while one of our team members is with our our patients. So if that's one of our nurses, um, but we also have nurse practitioners and physician's assistants going into the home. So our patients are actually getting uh, a few different people provider-wise, thinking about their care and um, trying to offer the best experience for them. So, um, yeah, and and kind of the idea, too, is when I'm rounding in the the brick-and-mortar hospital, uh, it's just so busy and it's hard to be able to come back and see patients when they need to. But in the virtual world, 
um, it's easier for me to have several touch points throughout the day with patients. Really, it's ju it's just through uh, the click of a button how we can connect. So, hmm. so there, you know, give and take. And uh, some people really prefer that in person experience. Um, some people um, are okay with uh, the telehealth experience augmenting the in person team. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you for having us. Dr. Margaret Paulson, internal medicine physician at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire, directs its advanced care at home program. Nels Paulson, sociology professor at UW-Stout with a research interest in hospital at home programs. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. As part of our conversations about homelessness here in Wisconsin, we explore how the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority is meeting the needs of its tribal residents. Now it's time for Wisconsin Life. Here's producer Maureen McCollum with a tour of a special cave. Bats are an important part of Wisconsin's wildlife. But over the last decade, a fungal disease called white nose syndrome has devastated bat populations in the state and across the country. In rural Crawford County, a cave that once was a tourist attraction is now protected by the Mississippi Valley Conservancy. It's a safe haven for the bats to hibernate and help scientists develop ways to stop the disease. Most of these bats have settled in for the winter, but before they returned, WPR's Hope Kerwin traveled underground to learn more about this unique cave. So the entrance to the cave is inside this little building. Welcome to Kickapoo Caverns. I'm Sarah Bratnober. I'm communications director at Mississippi Valley Conservancy. This doorway is really the only way in for people. But if you look up there, you see a little slot um, along the edge of the ceiling there. That's where the bats come in. Um, some bats fly south in the winter to, to relax and be snowbirds. But um, there are four species of bat. They tend to hibernate here in the Northland, and so they look for places to hibernate where they're not going to freeze to death over the winter. There are a few low spots, so we're going to just take a little duck down here. We are in a completely different space now. We're underground. Oh, this must be 15 feet tall, the ceilings here. All around us, we're seeing kind of a flowing forms of limestone that are being dissolved. It's very damp in here because water is a part of what's going on that created this cave and continues to shape it. Do you see those cages under the stairway? We're making research accessible for the DNR and their partners to actually um, study 
possible solutions to the white nose syndrome. It's a fungus that's in this cave, and it makes their skin itch, it makes them wake up, and in the middle of winter, then they start flying around looking for something to eat, and they just don't have the calories stored for them to be able to fly around. There is nothing to eat down here in the winter, and most of them have have starved as a result of being awoken. One of the things we do is just help people to be aware of bats and what bats need and why bats are good and what people can do for bats. But, you know, a lot remains to be seen about how the bats will do with this fungus in the environment. Will they develop a resistance to it? Is that why some of the bat populations in Wisconsin are coming back in the last year? Um, We don't know yet. Okay, here we go. Just about at the end of the cave now. And if we go down to the very end here and look over the edge, you will see that is a pool of water right there. A lot of people have never seen anything like this before. And kids who get the chance to come down here are really wowed by it. You know, what a great way to introduce them to some of these ideas about conservation. WPR's Hope Kerwin took us on a tour of the Kickapoo Caverns. Wisconsin Life is a co-production of Wisconsin Public Radio and PBS Wisconsin in partnership with Wisconsin Humanities. Additional support comes from Lolan Mary Peterson of Appleton. Want to make sure you catch every Wisconsin Life story? Subscribe to our podcast. And find more Wisconsin Life at wisconsinlife.org and on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Maureen McCollum. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. The Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority manages hundreds of rental units and runs housing programs on tribal lands in Bayfield County. As we discuss affordable housing and issues with homelessness, call in with a question. You can share your perspective, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. Ray DePerry is executive director of the Redcliffe Chippewa Housing Authority for the Redcliffe Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Ray, welcome to the Ideas Network. Thank you and good morning. Good morning. Starting with homelessness, how visible is homelessness in your community? Well, I would have to say, and being a a member of this community uh, for many years, off and on, of course, I would have to say that it is becoming uh, more obvious than what it used to be in the past, so to speak. Um, we are finding that we are having um, a, an increase in individuals um, who are who are homeless, um, and that was never the case before. Um, so. I fear that it 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 could be uh, just the beginning of uh, some serious problems that we'll be facing in the in the future, and we're facing them already. What are what are the steps to get 
someone, an individual or a family rehoused when you learn of a situation where there is potentially housing insecurity or a loss of a home? Well, first of all, the community, we do not have an identifiable place for the homeless. Mm -hmm. We don't have a, a, a physical structure that we can um, house them in and give them the necessary assistance of uh, counseling, um, mental health counseling, AODA counseling, etc. Um, so that that's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us because because we have a housing need period, a housing need period. We have roughly about 130 families who are on our waiting list to secure housing. Um, Do we label them homeless? Uh, Are they a part of that uh, um, uh, quota, that factor, that that percentage? Mm. Um, So what we try to do is uh, we, uh, we have one facility that used to be uh, and uh, the alcohol treatment center, which has about three or four uh, separate rooms, bedrooms in them. And uh, for these individuals that are that we have, can identify, um, we currently have them placed there. They're there. They can stay there for the night, but they got to be out the next day. And then, of course, we got them wandering, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a challenge here. For the 130 families on the waiting list, as you talk with them, what are they doing in the meantime? Well, they're doing what used to be done generations ago, um, living and um, hunkering down with um, extended family members. You know, we have uh, multiple families that are living in uh, units that are designed only for a family uh, of uh, of three or four, four or five. So we have overcrowded. We have overcrowding issues. Um, And um, uh, our community here, um, our tribal community is not much different than most of the tribal communities that that I work with and consult with, I mean, my colleagues are pretty much having similar uh, similar issues. You also um, acknowledge that it is an aging community. You have a population of seniors and elders. Does that complicate the housing situation? It does. It does. Um, we just, uh, about six months ago, we submitted a federal grant application to uh, HUD under their Office of Native American Programs to uh, secure some funding um, by which we would build, if successful, uh, two uh, 12-plex, what we call senior uh, living uh, quarters. And by senior, I mean anyone who is is 65 and older. These individuals, we have a good number of these individuals now who are really the grandmas and the grandpas Mm. who want to just have some quietness and see the grandkids maybe for an overnight or so and be able to to take care of their and live out their life, so to speak. 
We didn't get funded for that project, um, but we'll reassess it and hopefully try again. We last month talked with the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority CEO, Elmer Moore, and I want to listen to Moore here talking about affordable housing. Affordable housing has an unfortunate stigma. We're talking about folks that have great jobs, teachers and our public servants. We're talking about folks that are experiencing homelessness who might be staying on a friend's or family member's sofa or sleeping on their floor. Ray, does the phrase affordable housing have a stigma? I don't believe it has a stigma. And Secretary Moore was up here about uh, a month ago, along with some of his staff. And he met with with myself and a a couple of members from the tribal council, the tribal administration. Uh, we we've shared these concerns, of course, that uh, with him that that, that I'm now um, voicing. I don't believe affordable housing has that stigma. Uh, you know, people <laughs> people individuals and families want a house. Our duty is to get them that house. They're not bogged down by terminology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is, that's a bureaucratic thing, uh, but they want a place to live. They want a place where their children can have their own room and, 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 and put their own toys in there and call it their own place, so to speak. And uh, anything that can help this community or any community, uh, tribal or non-tribal, that can address that, meet that, affordable housing, heck, I'll take it. Ray DePerry is executive director of the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority administering programs to meet the housing needs of tribal members. And you can be part of the discussion. Call in with a question. Share thoughts at 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. As part of ongoing discussions about homelessness in Wisconsin and solutions to prevent and respond to housing insecurity, we learn about this work in northern Wisconsin. Ray DePerry is executive director of the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority, focused on meeting housing needs of the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Call in with a question. You can share insights, 800-642-1234. Ray, the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority receives federal funding through the Office of Native American Programs at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. What services are supported through this funding? This allocation that that uh, we receive from HUD, uh, as most tribal housing authorities, uh, is a funding which basically just helps us to keep our existing stock in decent shape, decent uh, status. It does help us do repair work, renovation work on the existing units that we have. We have roughly 235 uh, family units here on the reservation. 
So that funding from, from, from HUD helps us to meet the needs of those tenants who need home repair, new windows, new windows, weatherization, et cetera, et cetera, plus the support staff to, to keep that moving. How do you prioritize and keep up with the, the home repairs and the renovations? Um, how do you effectively maintain that, that current housing stock? It's it's difficult. It's it's extremely difficult because there are some units there are some units that that would requ- that, that require about maybe you know ten twelve thousand dollars for re- repair so to speak. That is a difficult thing to meet, giving the limited amount of dollars that come in. So we have to prioritize that. How best with the dollars do we do we spread it so that we're taking care of the uh, of the lesser demands, maybe the three thousand dollar needs or the four thousand dollar needs of the, the the windows or maybe the furnace, et cetera. It's uh, it, it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge because the increase does we we see no increase for the past you know twelve years in this particular area of national funding. And, be, you know, as homes age, they need more repairs. Things break or, um, you know, roofs need to be redone. We were fortunate enough. Uh, interesting you bring up that, that particular topic. We were fortunate enough through WIDA, through the state uh, Wisconsin Economic and Development Agency. We were fortunate enough about uh, three four years ago to get uh, tax credits. So with these tax credits, we were able to do major renovations for those units that needed the major renovations. It didn't, t- it took, it didn't take care of all of them, but it took care of a substantial amount. Um, but the tax credits, that's quite a competitive process. And it's very costly to hire a consultant to put together the detail application oh. of a tax credit, and there's no guarantee you're going to get it. Oh, that's interesting. You have to actually put out funds in order to get that application in. Um, that's right. Okay. Uh, and and we and we've had experiences. I've had multiple experiences with this. The, uh, an application could be three uh, three ring binders of documents. Mm. It's complicated. Are housing tax credits a long-term solution for the housing authority? Do you see this long-term? I don't see this long-term uh, by using tax credits for all of these housing needs. Um, you know, we have... You know, we deal with our federal officials doing it for the rest of our life. From the day we're born, we deal with federal officials. I, I believe that our only hope and seeing some of this improvement is for federal officials to meet that trust responsibility that they have to our tribal communities. And housing is just one of those serious areas that gets is, is seriously underfunded. It's the same old story, but there's an obligation there 
And it's tough when you haven't seen an increase in any of your base amount over 10, 12 years. Ray DePerry with us oversees the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority. You can join in with your questions and comments at 800-642-1234. I want to circle back to something you said earlier about not being able to provide wraparound services to help with the other issues that create a risk for homelessness. Can you really make headway without those types of supportive services? You cannot make any headway without those type of supportive services. And um, there is an ongoing attempt. I'm going to use that word attempt because it is ongoing because uh, we seem to be struggling a little bit on just how to uh, how to focus and how to organize this. These wraparound services, we, we have the components in place for an effective wraparound service approach to some of these issues. Um, but we just can't seem to be getting off the ground uh, with, with the, the goals and the objectives and how to do this. Um, it's an active group. It's an active committee. They, they meet at least once every two months. Um, I do see some improvement, but mm-hmm. that is a major uh, a function of this particular organization. And I, I, I think that's going to make some difference. Um, everything like that's going to help. Do you do you collaborate um, or, or learn from other tribal nations of Wisconsin on housing issues and, and figuring out s- solutions? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, uh, there is a state uh, network of tribal housing uh, directors called the Great Lakes Indian Housing Authority. Great Lakes meaning Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So we get together at least once every two months. Uh, for our our meetings to discuss and share share things at work and things we're having difficulty with, we try to have one voice to uh, get our messages to our leaders, both local and nationally. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. In our last moments together, together, what is your best advice to housing authorities everywhere in Wisconsin to help bring about sustainable, affordable housing long into the long into the future? Well, it certainly is an issue that's got to be that's got to stay on that front burner. It, it it cannot it cannot be put to the back burner anymore. Um, it has been moved to their front burner, and that is where that it it stays there. And that is where local, state, federal, tribal officials need to coalesce around the efforts to see improvements throughout. There's got to be that networking of information between tribal and non-tribal entities because the concern is both in our community here on the reservation as well as the neighboring community of Bayfield. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're most welcome. Ray DePerry is executive director of the Red Cliff Chippewa Housing Authority. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network.